When you travel, do you spend time exploring each airport you visit? Do you make an effort to check out whatever local art or facts they have on display? Or do you keep your head down and just hightail it to the gate? What if, unbeknownst to you and most of your fellow travelers and the thousands of people working there, the airport was actually a massive secret government project? What if they were hiding vital secrets about humanity right out in the open. Welcome to Strange and Unexplained with me, Daisy Egan. I'm a writer and an actor who believes in science and also believes there are secrets out there they don't want us to know. Today, I'll tell you about the conspiracies that have dogged Denver International Airport since before it even got built, and the one woman who started it all. When you fly a lot, you start to really notice and appreciate different airports. There are the ones that are basically just malls with overpriced stuff you don't need. Others are no frills that are like, hey, here's your plane, get on it. And others that clearly had a planning committee that spent a lot of time and money on the passenger's experience at the airport. My favorite kind of airport is the one filled with cool artifacts and photos from the history of the city it's in. Art from local artists or school kids thoughtfully placed rocking chairs near charging stations for those long layovers. Denver International Airport is one of those airports with huge, colorful murals, art and history exhibits, cool architecture, live entertainment, and a talking gargoyle. You can order food from one of the more than 86 eateries and have it delivered to you all the way across the airport. With 69 million passengers a year and 35,000 employees, 170 shops and restaurants, Denver International is the biggest airport in North America. I mean, forget air travel. The Denver International Airport is a destination in and of itself. Welcome to Illuminati headquarters. I mean, Denver International Airport. Especially if you're a conspiracy theorist trying to decode the messages you're sure are hidden in the artwork and uncover the secret government slash race of lizard people living underneath it. And before we continue, I'm going to acknowledge that some people believe the term lizard people is anti-Semitic code for Jewish people, or at the very least originated as an anti-Semitic term. I think we can all agree that the term has morphed to include anyone in power who people mistrust. I mean, as far as I know, Joe Biden is a Roman Catholic, and people definitely believe he's a lizard person. I am the lizard king. Along with Madonna, Barack Obama, Katy Perry, Mark Zuckerberg, George Bush, and Donald Rumsfeld, and hundreds of others. Several people have horrifically killed their non-Jewish loved ones very recently, claiming they were lizard people. So please know that as a Jew, when I talk about lizard people, I am not talking about Jewish people, okay? Also, spoiler alert, there's no such thing as a lizard person. So, here we go. Even before construction began on the 53-square-mile airport in 1989, there was already controversy surrounding Denver International. The budget was enormous at $1.5 billion. The location on a massive piece of land 20 miles out of town was weird and inconvenient. And there was already an airport in nearby Stapleton, Colorado. 
But then-Mayor Frederico Peña was determined. He argued that just the mere existence of the airport would attract tourists, jobs, and revenue. The airport, Peña said, would put Denver on the international map, to which cartographers the world over were like, uh, it's already on the map? But as the completion of construction got continually delayed and the cost had inevitably ballooned to $5.2 billion, an increase of more than 200%, people really started to get testy. Why was it taking so long? Why was it costing so much more than originally planned? And then there was the $700 million automated baggage system that was a disaster from the start and was eventually abandoned. What in the world, or the universe, was going on way out there on the prairies of Colorado? Now you, I would imagine, are probably thinking, well, first of all, it was a government project, so of course it was delayed and went over budget. And two, everyone knows that contractors always assure you the job will be completed at least six months before it really will and cost you hundreds of thousands or billions less than what they finally bill you. But not everyone is as level-headed as you are, friend. And for some people, when they don't get satisfactory answers, they come up with their own however outlandish their answers may be. Such was the case with a 65-year-old woman named Alex Christopher from Alabama. In 1996, Christopher gave an interview to KSEO Radio to talk about her book, Pandora's Box, The Ultimate Unseen Hand Behind the New World Order. If you have a minute, hop on over to Amazon and read the back cover. It would be hard for me to do it justice. Suffice to say, judging from the back cover alone, Christopher would have benefited from a good editor. Or any editor at all. Anyway, the interview is B-A-N-A-N-A-S. And it's also worth a read. The first thing that jumped out to me was this. Marie Antoinette and King Louis' son, the Dauphin, who survived and was smuggled out of France. The Dauphin went to the United States via England, where he signed a contract with the Virginia Company. He came here to help the businesses, especially banking, in the United States. I can hear you being like, Daisy, A, what is a Dauphin? And B, what does it have to do with an airport in Denver? Well, Dauphin is the French word for a he-dolphin. A she-dolphin is Dauphine, because... Lord knows you do not want to misgender a dolphin. Those fuckers are vicious. But that doesn't make sense, I hear you cry. Why would a dolphin be signing contracts with a bank? Well, there are many things about the French that don't make sense, like their inexplicable sense of superiority. But dauphin also means prince, which I don't know about you, but when I see a he-dolphin playfully doing backflips, giving high fives, and eating sardines from children's hands... I instantly think of royalty. As for what the Dauphin might have had to do with an airport in a state that hadn't even been colonized by Europe by the time the prince got there, obviously it has to do with the New World Order, which you would know if you would wake up, you sheep. I mean, the Dauphin was 10 at the time, and while I get that the royals were often married off at very young ages for political alliances, it's hard to claim that a 10-year-old kid was like, yeah, let me at that Virginia company and them American banks. 
why not just have him marry some 10-year-old daughter of one of the two families who run this country, according to Christopher. Incidentally, most historians say the Dauphin died in prison in France at the age of 10. But that's what they want us to believe. Christopher explains that this shrewd 10-year-old prince was wheeling and dealing with United States banks and railroad companies because, in fact, the United States never did and never would actually get out from under British rule. We are all just meant to believe we're an independent country. But we're still just a British colony. Christopher then explains that the reason President George Bush I was knighted by the Queen of England was because he was, in fact, a servant of the crown and had been doing her bidding. And doing it well, I guess. Turns out, quite a few Americans have been knighted by Queen Elizabeth and her late husband, Prince Racist Face VIII, including Billy Graham, Rudy Giuliani, and, wait for it, Kevin Spacey. And TBH, now that you mention it, maybe it's not such a stretch to think these people are doing the bidding of some figurehead of an international conspiracy. So, what does Denver International Airport have to do with it? Well, according to Alex Christopher... It goes back to their secret societies and the establishment of the New World Order, which all leads back to the House of Windsor. There has been in this country for a long time a grooming process whereby people carry on the bidding of the Crown of England. That is one of the things the system involving the Rhodes Scholars was set up to achieve. Cecil Rhodes set it up to groom people for this task, to carry the United States into the New World Order. It appears, from what I have been able to find out, that the Crown of England has had this very skillfully planned for hundreds of years, and it could be possible that they have been privy to information that not many of us have been for a long, long time about the chaos involving Earth changes that is coming. It is my understanding that England is not going to make it through the changes, so they set up a whole new empire over here. That goes back to some of the things we discussed before about the lands being bought up in Colorado. There it is. The British are secretly buying up land in Colorado. Something about the altitude being good for when the Earth goes through these changes. According to Christopher, some guy who wrote some book claimed they have an audio tape of a conversation between some Denver City official and the CIA in which the CIA promises to pay the official $1.5 million to make sure the airport got built no matter what. And why would the CIA be so invested in some random airport? Because the Denver area is where the establishment of the Western sector of the New World Order will be in the United States. They plan on using this facility for something else other than just landing planes. And voila, the Denver International Airport. Now, how in the world did this self-published author have such top-level information, you might be asking? Because it's all happening right under our very noses in plain sight if we only know where to look. And you're going to find out Alex Christopher knows where to look. (laughs) 
The first physical clue Alex Christopher discovered about the airport was the capstone. A capstone is a thing representing the culmination of something else, like a capstone course you take at the end of your studies, or in this case, an actual stone. I guess this capstone was put there to be like, hey, we did it. The Denver airport capstone covers a time capsule that is not supposed to be opened until 2094, a hundred years after the completion of the airport. The capstone was made by and dedicated to the airport by the Freemasons. Now, if you're like me, and most people apparently aren't, you don't know much about the Freemasons. As far as you're concerned, it's a secret fraternity dating back to the time of the dinosaurs who used to build stuff, or at least be the sons of people who used to build stuff, and now they don't really build stuff. They're like a bridge club, but more secretive, and there's no card playing, tea drinking, or gossip about whose roses should have won the annual garden competition. People have somehow linked the Freemasons to the Illuminati, which you may be shocked to learn I also don't really know anything about. Look, I'm going to be honest here and say that once you start saying shit like the moon landing was faked, I tap out. All I know about the Illuminati is Tom Hanks with a bad haircut running around Europe looking worried and Beyonce and Jay-Z. Also, they're aliens and they're secretly in control of the world. Now, to be fair, the wording on the Denver airport capstone is unusual. First of all, I guess if you don't want people thinking your airport is a secret headquarters for an underground society that is planning on taking over the world, you shouldn't let the Freemasons have anything to do with it. So that's on them. If you have language on there like, this stone was dedicated by the most worshipful Prince Hall Grand Lodge F and AM of Colorado and jurisdiction, Claude W. Gray Sr., Grand Master, which to be clear is actual wording on the actual capstone, people might be like, what the fuck is that? It also really doesn't help that it also says New World Airport Commission. Alex Christopher saw this and blew a gasket. She was like, New World? As in New World Order? And airport spokespeople were like, there's a comma missing. It should say new comma World Airport Commission, which on top of being a grammatical nightmare also doesn't mean anything. But that was too little too late for Alex Christopher. Also, Christopher described an out-of-place unfinished wooden block on the end of an arm on the capstone that she said looked like a keypad. Now, we'll post the pictures on our socials and you can see what she's talking about. As for me, I don't see an out-of-place unfinished wood block. I see a placard made out of whatever placards are usually made out of. Brass. But Christopher explained that a very reliable source told me that this keypad-looking area looked like a form of techno-geometry that is alien-oriented and that it had something to do with a directional system, whatever that meant, that functioned as a homing beacon to bring ships right into the Great Hall. Friends, this keypad homing beacon, it's literally just Braille. I don't even know Braille, and I knew that. 
Her next area of concern was the massive murals, which stretch about 28 feet long near the baggage claim area of the airport. The murals commissioned by the airport and painted by Leo Tanguma are titled In Peace and Harmony with Nature and the Children of the World Dream of Peace. And they are something to behold. Call me naive, but I tend to associate the words peace and harmony with life and unity. These murals, while extremely colorful and beautiful, are full of death and destruction. Images of children in coffins, fires destroying forests, women holding dead babies. The least violent of the murals depicts children from all over the world bringing their weapons to a boy who looks like the poster child for the Nazi youth, who is, I think, pounding the weapons into a plowshare. Underneath the plow is a creepy grayish-green figure that looks like a soldier with a face that's frozen in a sort of grotesque mask of terror, presumably dead and defeated. In another, the same grayish-green guy looms above the ruins of a city, holding a machine gun and a huge sword with the same ghoulish expression on his face. Maybe it's a gas mask? There's a procession of what looks like refugees leading away the one closest to the viewer weeping and clutching a dead baby. In another, children cry holding extinct animals as a fire rages in the background. And then you see the coffins. Three glass coffins. One holds a figure of a blonde-haired child with pigtails wearing what appears to be a Star of David, but also holding a Bible? I guess it's supposed to be symbolic of Judeo-Christian culture in general. Another coffin holds a dark-skinned figure wearing a headdress, laying on a zebra hide, holding a flower. There's an African drum and a kalimba. I think we're supposed to understand this person is from somewhere in Africa. And the last and most prominent coffin holds what I think is meant to be an indigenous American holding some kind of traditional doll, I think. And listen, I have to give this one to Alex Christopher. These are not your typical airport art displays. It's not normal to be waiting for your bags to come down the carousel while contemplating the Earth's destruction by war and climate crisis. Unless your goal is to send your customers into an existential spiral. They did, after all, just get off a huge carbon-emitting airplane. Tenguma claims the murals are meant to depict a possible future if we don't mend our ways and a possible future where we end war and climate destruction. Which, sure, I totally get. But the New World Airport Committee wasn't doing itself any favors hanging these murals. Unless its actual goal was to get people to think something seriously fishy was going on at Denver International Airport. If that was the case, they nailed it, I guess. Christopher believes that Tanguma was given guidelines for what to paint. Tanguma denied this. Christopher believes the murals depict what they plan to do to us and the world as a whole. She believes the three figures in the coffin represent the races of people they want to eradicate. She claimed that Tanguma himself told her, The first casket has a Jewish-American child, a little girl, and she has the star on her clothes and a little Bible in a locket. Was Christopher 
unaware that Jews don't read the version of the Bible the girl in the casket is holding? Like, did she really not know that the Bible with the gold cross on the cover is decidedly not Jewish? Like, Jews have a whole separate book they read from? Sure, part one of the other Bible is the same as what's in the Jewish Bible, but Jews have no need for part two. She might as well have been holding a Quran. Anyway. Christopher then goes into a whole thing about eugenics and gene splicing. Now, here's what I don't get. You know how in the movies, the bad guy always has a monologue revealing his entire evil plan before killing the hero? The hero is strapped to a chair or whatever, and the villain is like, Yes, Mr. Bond, I am going to blow up MI6 and Spectre will take over. And you're yelling at the TV, just kill him! And your partner sighs and is like, can you just shut up and watch the movie? But then inevitably, the hero escapes and stops the bad guy before he can enact his dastardly plan. Why would they, the New World Order, I guess, lay out their plans for all to see? I'm no nefarious secret underground government who's been planning on taking over the world for hundreds of years, but it seems to me, if I were, I'd probably want to keep my plans close to the vest so as not to be, I don't know, thwarted? Why, if they've been managing to basically keep under the radar since supposedly the French Revolution at least, would they be swinging their dicks around so publicly now? And then there's Blucifer, the 32-foot-tall blue fiberglass horse sculpture with glowing red eyes that greets you just outside the airport's entrance. And again, I say, if you don't want people thinking all kinds of crazy things, maybe don't make the eyes of the giant blue horse glowing and red. I'm not even religious, and that instantly makes me think of one of the horses of the apocalypse. The artist who made the horse, Luis Jimenez, said the eyes glowed red to, quote, honor the spirit of the American West. I don't know. Why not make it a buffalo, then? I mean, I get it. The Broncos are the team of Denver. Adding fuel to the demon horse theory, unfortunately, Jimenez died during construction of the horse when a piece of it fell on him, severing a main artery. But that's just the part of Denver International Airport that everyday people like you and me can see. I haven't even gotten to the underground lair where the lizard people live. So, let's recap for those of you keeping score at home. So far, the Denver airport has a homing beacon for the aliens to bring their ships in, murals that are blueprints for what the aliens plan on doing with humankind, a horse that represents the apocalypse, and is, in general, a base for aliens and or the New World Order for when the world goes through its changes and England needs a safe place to flee to. Yes? Okay. But, obviously, the New World Order slash aliens can't go about their business on the main concourse. Just because all the signs are there, if you know what to look for, doesn't mean they can do whatever evil things it is they do out there for all to see. No, their actual operations base is deep underground. 
Alex Christopher had a friend who got her access to the vast underground complex underneath Denver International. She didn't take any pictures, of course, so we just have to take her word for it. But here is what Christopher claims she saw with her own eyes below the airport. And folks, please fasten your seatbelt. It's about to get pretty bumpy. First of all, there are what Christopher refers to as two long shafts running adjacent to the passenger tram that she said were wide enough to fit a two-lane highway each. A huge steel door at the ends of the shafts that was big enough to, quote, fit a great big truck. And something that really confused her was the system of pipes and sprinklers placed in the ceiling every six feet or so down the length of the shafts. And here is where she gets to the five buildings that are buried there, between five and 13-story high buildings. Now listen, they will tell you that the buildings were built by mistake, and when the error was realized, instead of demolishing the buildings or changing the plans, they buried them. You know, like they do. And in actuality, they won't tell you anything of the sort. No one official has ever said anything about buildings being built in the wrong place, much less being buried. And as far as I could discern, no one has ever seen these buried buildings. At least, no one who was willing to admit they had. And everybody that worked on these projects, there were five different contractors, and the people on each contracted crew did not interact with the other ones. When the project was done, everyone was fired and sent away. Well, that's it, folks. When the project was done, the construction workers were fired and sent away. Why would they have done that if they weren't trying to cover something up? When renovations on my parents' house was finished in the mid-90s, the workers moved in. That's what construction workers do when the project is done. Did Christopher see the buried buildings? No. But she interviewed a few of the former construction workers who were, quote, very afraid to talk. I guess not to her, though. If you're having trouble envisioning these buildings like I was, they are supposedly complete buildings with rooms just buried. Like, if you did a cross-section, it would be like a dollhouse. And this is particularly strange when you consider how unlikely it would have been that they'd already installed the windows and doors on the buildings before realizing their mistake and burying them. How the dirt or whatever they were buried in didn't fill in the insides of the buildings is beyond me. But it seems to me that the allegation is these are accessible buildings, just like buried. Honestly, I don't know, okay? In the wise words of Forrest Gump, I'm not a smart man, Jenny. Christopher also describes large, empty areas that are cordoned off with chain-link fence with the barbed wire tops facing inward. Why, she asks, why would the barbs be facing in? It's like they want to keep someone in, not out. There is also an area, according to Christopher, that requires a full biohazard suit for entry. Christopher says they will tell you it's because of some fungus that affects the lungs. But we all know better. 
Now, this next part is a doozy, so I'm just going to let it speak for itself. This other man told me in private that there is a lot of human slave labor in these deep underground bases being used by these aliens and that a lot of this slave labor is children. He said that when the children reach the point that they are unable to work anymore, they are slaughtered on the spot and consumed. Consumed by who? Aliens. Again, this is not from me, but from a man that gave his life to get this information out. He worked down there for close to 20 years, and he knew everything that was going on. Huh. And who do these aliens eat? They specifically like young human children that haven't been contaminated like adults. Well, there is a gentleman out given a lot of information from a source he gets it from, and he says that there is an incredible number of children snatched in this country. Over 200,000 each year. And that these children are the main entree for dinner. How many draconians are down there? I have heard the figure of 150,000 just in the New York area. Underneath New York? Yes, in some kind of underground base there. Interesting. Now, you've seen pictures of these things? I have seen them face to face. You have? Yes. From some information that has been put out by a group or team that also works in these underground bases that is trying to get information out to people that love this country, there is a war that is going on under our feet and above our heads that the public doesn't know anything about. And it's between these alien forces and the humans that are trying to fight them. What other types have you seen? The ones that I have seen are the big-eyed greys and the reptilians. Friends? Friends. Where do I even begin? I mean, honestly, this is like trying to make sense of a four-year-old's jibber-jabber. Let's just... For the sake of time, let's just look at the math. 200,000 children are snatched in this country every year. First of all, not true. The actual numbers on how many children truly go missing each year are hard to nail down. It's complicated and we're not going to get into the weeds of it, but most kidnapped children are kidnapped by a family member and the majority of missing children are found or come home. But the fact that they were missing at some point adds to the overall data. Anyway... Let's say for a moment that it was true that 200,000 children are snatched every year. If there are 150,000 aliens underneath New York alone, what you're telling me is they eat extremely rarely. 200,000 children per year would not be enough to feed even the ones under New York. But also, have you ever tried to get a kid to do anything? Children are a terrible resource if you need work done. They're weak, they cry a lot, their feet and legs kill them anytime they have to walk any distance, and they require a lot of food. Like, a lot. At the rate they would be useless and have to be slaughtered and eaten, the aliens would not only run out of a workforce, but starve to death within a few weeks. All of the conspiracy surrounding Denver International Airport stems from this one woman and this interview. There's nothing to substantiate a single one of her claims. But the thing about conspiracy theories and their believers is they're impossible to argue with because any fact you try to give them is countered with, that's what they want you to believe. There's only so many times you can be called a sheep before you're like, you know, just go ahead and believe Denver International is a secret headquarter for the Illuminati slash aliens. There's too many episodes of Married at First Sight I have to catch up on. 
It's not even worth it to explain that the shafts are tunnels for baggage handlers to get from terminal to terminal with all the baggage. Or that the sprinklers placed every six feet or so in the ceiling are sprinklers in case a fire happens in a long concrete tunnel. Or that there were actually 37 different contractors and 400 subcontractors who built Denver International. And of course they didn't talk to each other because why would they? Why would someone contracted to build the runways need to talk to someone contracted to put in the plumbing? They probably never even saw each other. That's not cause for believing something spooky is going on. It's how construction on massive airports work. Do I believe our government is hiding things from us? Absolutely. Do I believe it could be in the government's best interest to have underground locations to keep certain people safe or even to incarcerate a large number of people all at once? Sure. Do I believe that children are trafficked? A hundred percent. Do I believe that the United States is still a colony of England? Nope. Do I believe in the Illuminati? Uh Uh-uh. Do I believe 200,000 children are taken every year and forced into slave labor for an alien race who then eats them when they are no longer useful? Not today, Bob. Not today. I guess my thing is, like, pick one thing and go with it. Like, which is it? A New World Order or a human-eating alien race? These days, Denver International Airport has met its initial expectations in terms of traffic and revenue. It's a major source of jobs for Colorado and remains the second largest airport in the world. The folks at Denver International are leaning into the conspiracies surrounding the airport and using them as a marketing ploy, with billboards throughout the airport that read, Are we creating the world's greatest airport or preparing for the end of the world? And what are we doing? A. Adding amazing new restaurants and bars? B, building an Illuminati headquarters, or C, remodeling the lizard people's lair. The airport's official website has lots of information about the conspiracies. It's a pretty smart strategy. Not only does it attract people to the airport to see for themselves, but it's also a brilliant example of reverse psychology in order to cover up the truth. We're on to you, Denver International. We're on to you. We have a lot of fascinating and bizarre stories to share with you this season, but we want to hear your episode suggestions as well. If you have an idea for something we should cover, whether it's a well-known case or something that happened in your town that the world hasn't heard about yet, go to our website, strangeandunexplainedpod.com, and fill out the contact form. This episode was written by me and researched by Jess McKillop, with voice actor help from Ryan Garcia. A complete list of our sources for each episode is available on our website. Our episodes are mixed and edited by Jennifer Swatek. If you like our show, help us out by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We are at SNUPod. And check out the Strange and Unexplained with Daisy Egan Facebook group to join in the conversation. 